Hello and welcome to the Scribes of Summer, a new Dodgers podcast from The Athletic. I'm Pedro Mora and over there is Andy McCullough. This week we're here to welcome Eric Nussbaum, the author of a new book about the Dodgers, about Los Angeles. Uh, it's called Stealing Home. Uh, we just, uh, Andy and I just crashed Reddit over the weekend uh, and we're here to ask Eric about it. So uh, thanks for being on, Eric. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reading the book. Yeah. Andy, what were your, um, I know you're still working through it. What were your impressions? Um, how would you, what would you, you know, what'd you take away so far? Well, I mean, I think the main thing, I mean, maybe we can ask Eric to explain what the book is about, but I think it's a story that I was just not familiar with. And I think it is an excellent sort of window and just kind of the, um, the narrow lenses with which we take in sports and I think it's uh, part of kind of a broader it fits on a broader continuum of sort of expanding that lens and that's why I think it's kind of a vital sort of story in that way um, but it, it so it, it struck me um, how many other stories there might be like this that just kind of get <laughs> swept into the dustbin of history essentially um and uh and i think it's yeah as i said it's part uh, you know there should be a corrective to sort of better explain uh you know sports history in that way and that's that's really why i joined also the writing's really good i just finished right before this i finished just like i read the first jack reacher novel and it just sucked so much and so like this was just a very nice uh palate cleanser and that the sentences aren't like atrocious Eric, you, can you can you put that Thank in the book jacket? <laughs> Better than Jack Reacher. <laughs> I hope you make as much money as the guy who wrote Jack Reacher does, because that shit sucked. Oh my god! Have you guys ever read the Jack Reacher books? No, but uh, I know uh, one Dodger Don't. swears by him. He uh, Ross Stripling oh, is a oh, is a huge uh, fan. Of course, yeah. shocker. So. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, Eric, can you summarize it to, um, you know, I have some thoughts on it, but before I get into that, uh, could you summarize it to people who, you know, haven't heard anything about it? Yeah, yeah I'll try, I'll try and be brief. I'm working on my, my elevator pitch of explaining the book and not taking 20 minutes to do it. The, the book is about how LA ended up at Dodger stadium essentially. And it really follows three stories. Um, one is the story of this family, the Arechigas who immigrated from Mexico to Arizona, ended up in LA ended up in this community called Palo Verde, uh, which is where, or which was where Dodger Stadium is now. Uh, one is the story of sort of public housing in LA, and one is the story of baseball and why LA was so desperate to have Major League Baseball in the 1950s. And the stories all come to a head when this community of Palo Verde is, and these two other communities, La Loma and Bishop, are evicted to make way for a public housing project and then that public housing project is scratched amidst the Red Scare. And finally, the city turns and sells the land, which is mostly vacant, but not completely, to Walter O'Malley to build Dodger Stadium. That's a, that's a, uh, a that was pretty concise, quick, yeah. quick moving summary. Yeah, among the things that struck me about the book when I got into I did not expect the extent to which the Red Scare was going to be <laughs> a plot point <laughs> in the book whatsoever. I did not anticipate that. That took me by surprise. Um, among the things I loved also were the um, the fact that you point out that Palo Verde was not even, you know, you say it's Dodger Stadium, but it's really a distant parking lot, right? <laughs> is my understanding of where it ended up being. Which is, you know, of course, the, the 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 saddest. I mean, one of the saddest parts of it is that this is, you know, this this massive space was used for a stadium. Um, and I, and it struck me also that Andy is like lives very close to where uh, that is, right? Andy, did you did yes. that, did, that, did you pay attention to that at all? I mean, I think yeah, it was like, it's, we're talking about like a thousand feet, if not. If Didn't not feel great about that. 
Park. Yeah. 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 Uh, yes. I live in Echo Park. I live uh, maybe a block away from the, you know, stadium way entrance. Uh, I live like, you know, real close to the, you know, block, o- like maybe two blocks away from stadium way and a block away from the, an Elysian Park uh, uh, trailhead. So, yes, I live like right in this sort of area. Yeah. But uh, I guess my overall thought was just how, how wonderfully you captured the fact that like Los Angeles is always trying to it's like this this impossible quest to to destroy its history and like rebuild in a new <laughs> a new future and and pretend as if uh, the old one didn't exist and in that way it, it reminded me of uh, this book I also loved called Boomtown by Sam Anderson about Oklahoma City and it kind of the parallel between how you know people think of LA as a much more prominent city than Oklahoma City but in in a lot of ways these places the LA has just been a little bit more been more successful in uh in in re- in redefining itself but both of them have been essentially trying to um play with the past and 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 um and fool people into thinking that there's something better than they are and los angeles was successful i guess with this and you can tell in the book eric that you how, how much you you know you feel about la and dodger stadium in the place i mean it's a it's a love letter in some way to in spite of it all to dodger stadium i thought the way i think of it is that oh first of all i really love boomtown and that book came out while I was writing Stealing Home. And I think it was really helpful for me to read that. Also a little bit terrifying because he's such an <laughs> amazing writer, Sam Anderson. And I was like, oh God, I'm never going to be able to live up to this. And I have to write about LA, which is super scary. Uh, but um, in terms of Dodger Stadium, I mean, sort of the way I th- like thinking backwards, it's really unfortunate and tragic that it's this way, but the lives of the people in those communities and the homes that were destroyed are still part of our history or are still talked about and not in the dustbin, like Andy said, partly because we got Dodger Stadium, which mm-hmm. is this iconic, beautiful, you know, place that everybody loves. And had those communities become a public housing project or become condos or become a cemetery or become a community college, honestly, probably nobody would be still talking about it, which is sad and unjust, but also reality. Eric, what, why did this story speak to you? I mean, like uh, a book project is obviously a, a, you know, a lengthy sort of ordeal and, you know, you kind of have to be really passionate to pursue it. I mean, what was it about this story that, that appealed to you and how, and how long had you been thinking about it before you kind of embarked on this project? So I've been thinking about this project for as long as I've, like identified as a writer or a wannabe writer, mm-hmm. I think. College, probably. I I think there's a few things that appeal to me about it. Um, one is that it's sort of this intersection of sports and culture and history, and that's a lot of where my interests lie as a writer. And more like deeply, I just really, I don't identify necessarily, but I empathize and I have a strong place in my heart for the people in the story. Um, I think it's a really interesting story because a lot of the people really were doing the best they could and thought they were doing the right thing. And they still suffered greatly and were still sort of stuck or kind of caught between these giant waves of history. Um, especially, you know, the Anachiga family who did everything right. You know, they came and they, and not just them, but a lot of the families in in the communities, you know, they worked hard, they bought property, they paid taxes, you know, they sent their kids off to war and they still ended up getting the short end of the stick, um, despite 
really not deserving it. And then you have somebody like Frank Wilkinson, who's the housing official, who's a big part of the story, who, you know, devotes himself to this cause that he believes in passionately. And ultimately, because he's outed as a communist, becomes the means by which that very cause is destroyed. There's just something sort of human and and tragic in it. So, so with those, but I guess I'm just like curious from maybe like a process perspective, like how do you become aware of these, this, these people, these characters in the first place, I guess. So Frank Wilkinson spoke to my high school history class uh, in Culver city in 2002. And mm-hmm. that's how I became aware of him. Uh, and that's how really I became aware of the story. And then as I was doing my research and wanting to write about it, I, I sort of, I was reading all about this, you know, reading every book, every article I could find on the subject. And I found that the lives of the people who lived in, in these communities were not really centered in the works that much. And I I thought that was sort of an oversight and I wanted to focus on those. So I really started reaching out to people and, you know, Mm -hmm. people who had lived there, descendants of people who had lived there to, to get a sense of what these places were like, to hear their stories. And, uh, I kind of ultimately settled on focusing on the Adechiga family, partly because of the dramatic way that they were evicted. Uh, I felt like every story ends with them sort of getting forcibly evicted from their homes on TV, but you never really find out why them or what was it about them that made them stay and that made them so stubborn. And I was curious about that kind of mystery of personality. I, I was struck, I think, by how every character in the book you were able to to capture them as a nuanced person, even Frank Wilkinson, who you had one of his college friends describe as essentially a, um, I forget what was the phrase who he, he described him as had no idea what was coming. Basically. He was just naive to the point of all hell. And, and then you had the, the family there who they, the initial news reporting missed was actually doing fine financially and had the 11, properties and all that it was it, no one was as bad or as good as they seemed i guess except for the newspaper reporters who i did not realize the extent to which were biased <laughs> um and were were essentially uh <laughs> fo- you know foisting their own will upon the city which is um i guess was probably was that surprising to discover or did you were you less naive than than, than me and, and just just as an aside dude read a newspaper from 1965 it was wild wow. the sort of stuff you could find <laughs> in a newspaper yeah. Anyway, I, sorry. I think I think I knew, and to be fair to newspaper reporters, they weren't forcing their own will. They were forcing the mm-hmm. will of their bosses. Okay, I, I I think uh, I knew the LA Times was sort of bad and reactionary, but I hadn't spent a lot of time like really sitting there and reading LA Times, you know, issues from the 1950s, and it's mind blowing. Like not just the <laughs> Times, also like every every paper of the era has. Yeah, it's crazy. And the Times in particular in that era was just kind of a bludgeon being used to advance the interests, political and business, of of their owners. Yeah, the, the Times was particularly particularly reactionary on that paradigm, right? Like as was the the yeah. That that sounds about right. Super anti communists, I mean super kind of like pro business, conservative, anti union. Um yeah, I mean just a truly like political paper and to the point where i mean you hear stories about their political city hall reporters literally on the council floor instructing council members on how to vote yeah why um i'm curious if you wonder why 
why do you think stories like this do get sort of cast aside? I mean, why 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 do we struggle so much to 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 have nuance in in the stories we tell about our our country and and about sports? I guess. Sorry for cutting you off. No, no, it's okay. I think people have a hard time, you know, wanting to deal with sort of. You know, they want to stick to sports, I guess, essentially, and it's it's unpleasant sometimes to think that maybe the team that you love or the city that you love, because uh, really this is much about LA, if not more than it is about the Dodgers, uh, have this dark history or have made these mistakes and have done people wrong. I think that's kind of a silly attitude. I think if you love something, you can you know, strive to understand it better and sort of embrace and accept its flaws um, and be critical of them. I think another reason is that it's not really in the best interests of sports teams to talk about this stuff or for the city to talk about this stuff. We haven't had a lot of like reckoning about the way LA Mm -hmm. developed as a place. And that's just not about Dodger stadium. That's about redlining and all kinds of, you know, terrible policing practices and really everything. (laughs) This is sorry to bring it down. What, uh, what, what did you learn? We're all, we were all in a great mood before we started talking to you. So yeah, you're you're always bringing us down. Yeah. How are you, uh, Eric, how are you doing right now? Like what's, uh, what's your day to day like right now? I I imagine it's a weird time to kind of be, you know, trying to promote a, promote a book i mean like kind of how are you uh attacking each day at this point i'm attacking twitter uh i'm, I'm spending way more time <laughs> on the internet than i than i really should or want to and you know i i'm supposedly would have been having you know book events this week in la and going to mm-hmm. new york and boston and all these kind of exciting things that for a first-time author were gonna be really cool and um i would probably have gone to opening day on thursday but that's not going to happen. So kind of hanging out at home with the family and trying to make the best of it and stay healthy and safe. Seems reasonable. How about you guys? What are you doing? What Are you, what, are you in Arizona? Are you in LA? We're both in Los Angeles. So I, I, that's my understanding. Is that true, Andy? Yes, yeah. I am in Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah, it's um, it's a like you said, it's an unusual. Um, I, you know, I just went through and deleted all the trips on my Google Calendar for the next couple months, all the flights, all the hotels, everything like that. It's um, obviously it means nothing in comparison to all the struggle people are going to go through. It's just, but it's just jarring for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have no idea what this, you know, what the season's going to hold. So, but you know, trying to um, the, honestly, reading this book this weekend was a um, was a very pleasant uh, distraction for me, being able to to just uh, stop thinking about the world for a few hours that's that could be on the jacket as well <laughs> a, pl- a pleasant distraction from the pan- yeah. pandemic yeah pleasant distraction from the pandemic that's better than jack uh, well, <laughs> you could just quote us both <laughs> together i wanted to ask you about uh there, there are two baseball players i think that that got uh that you, you focused on in this and this since this is a sports podcast i thought we could talk about those guys a little bit um duke snyder and willie davis uh how early on in the process of reporting this did you realize you know I, I, they're both from los angeles or were raised in los angeles how early in the process did you realize you were going to use them? I kind of knew Duke Snyder would be a part of the book. Uh, I just thought he was interesting and sort of not misunderstood, but like under understood. <laughs> and he he was from Compton, which I always thought was sort of strange and like not what you would expect when you look at mm-hmm. Duke Snyder. But 
Um, I, I will tell you that like the part of the book that I had the hardest time with, despite, you know, ostensibly being a sports writer is the baseball part. And it was tough to piece together. Like, how do I get sort of the narrative and the momentum of baseball coming to LA, um, in a way that both kind of meets the needs of the, of the book history wise, and also is compelling and informative baseball wise. Um, and then I was, you know, I was kind of pouring through baseball reference and watching old game footage and doing the nerdy baseball things I might've been doing even without writing a book. And it just sort of dawned on me that Willie Davis was this like perfect figure to, and he's sort of like the last baseball figure in the book and sort of the ending of the book, um, to talk about. And first of all, I, even though I grew up a Dodger fan hearing about him, I didn't know how good he was or how interesting he was. And he was both of those things. Yeah. If you look at his overall statistics compared to, um, you know, I was, I, I was caught up on this, his, uh, his, his war is almost the same as Duke Snyder's. Um, but if you, you know, Duke Snyder has, I don't know, 10 times the acclaim. So it was, you know, in, in how you drew them as, you know, obviously Willie took over for him in center field and it, it the, the differences in their upbringings. It was interesting. I, I was, um, I was compelled by that. I also, I think my favorite part of the entire book was when you described uh, W.E.B. Du Bois as, quote, very old, quote. <laughs> so thank you for that. I, I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> he, he, he was, was very 90s, old, I believe. Uh, right? yeah, yeah. At the time, that was, yeah. That was tremendous. He's not young. <laughs> I didn't, I don't think that the New LA Times article about Vince Scully described him as very old, but it could have. <laughs> I'm going to try to use that this year. <laughs> I Plashy wouldn't do that, man. Plashy's a gentleman. He would never. He would never. <laughs> he is, do he that. is a gentleman. He would never do that I, to Ben. Are you saying that I'm? I'm. I was disrespectful of the UV divorce. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. I don't know. <laughs> I can't get over that. It's so good. <laughs> he was very. People old. use all these other, you know, septuagenarian, octogenarian, nonagenarian, and yeah, you yeah. just got right to the point. You know, why futz with the? Yeah. What? Why mess with anything? Yeah. You know, you don't need an. We're not. We're not. We're not pussyfooting around here, buddy. We don't all have Jack Reacher level vocabularies. <laughs> the problem with Jack Reacher, uh, <laughs> the problem with Jack Reacher is it's very the writing is very repetitive, um, and he also uses sentence fragments. Uh, so it's just it's like yeah, I I would go get up and get the book from I, I just you know it's sitting on my table. I can't take it back to the library for several weeks, so it's just um, you know poisoning my mind. But uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I wouldn't recommend, would not recommend. I'm thinking, I've never read any of them, but as you describe it, I'm thinking of like a, uh, a small town newspaper sort of vibe where in the sports section, they do one sentence paragraphs. Like That's exactly what I thought. No, no not it's not that. Okay. It's not that. No. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked before about how uh, a lot of popular fiction gets unfairly mm -hmm. maligned. You know, like, uh, you know, Big Steve King and, uh, you know, Michael Conley. Yeah, I'm a big Michael stuff, Conley kind of, fan. Yeah, like they're 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 tremendous, you know. Like I think Stephen King is the best, you know, writer in um, you know, modern American life. And uh uh but yeah, some some of those books are properly maligned, I would say, uh by, you know, literary snobs. So so we can <laughs> so, so we can leave it at that, I guess. But how was the pacing? How was the plot? It's it was bad. It was not good. <laughs> it was really stupid. I don't get it. I didn't find that yeah, didn't get it. Didn't don't understand why it's popular. Saw the movie with Tom Cruise, kind of liked it, you know. Um, but uh, was it Tom Cruise? Yeah, no, Tom Cruise, not Tom Hanks. Um, Same thing. 
Yeah, things are things are going great. <laughs> How would me. you? Are you the first person to mix them up? Wow. No, Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks have been mixed up before. They're actually the same age. You wouldn't know it. Are they really? No, I made that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was about to be. Yeah, I, I don't think that. Can, whoa. Whoa. Wait, hold on. Let's look up. Okay, how much older do you think Tom Hanks is than Tom Cruise? Didn't we play this game on the uh, Andy and I on the drive up from the winter meetings this year? We played a game where you just name a um, a celebrity oh, yeah. and you you try to guess their age and whoever's closest out of a group uh, wins. It's it's a uh, it's a good way to pass some time. Oh, okay. They're like probably eleven uh, years Tom Hanks eleven is... years apart. No, no, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, Eric, what's your guess on the age spread? Fourteen years. Tom Hanks is sixty three, and Tom Cruise is fifty seven. That's Whoa. close. Yeah, it's pretty close. Wow, they kind of are the same. It's pretty close. You learn, yeah, you learn something new every day. Yeah. So, Eric, I guess let's let's close (laughs) this with with another question about your book that you're here um, to talk about. What uh, to fan to to? There's a lot in here about Los Angeles, about the city. It's it's probably in my opinion, I I thought of it more as a a city book than a baseball book. But there's mm-hmm. a, a, plenty of baseball in there. What uh, to someone who has more of an interest in the Dodgers? What like how, what can they learn that they can apply to the team? You think? How would you sell it to to a fan to a fan who's mostly is listening to this for insight about the Do- the modern Dodgers and and whatnot? I would say that the story of the Dodgers coming to LA is always told from the Brooklyn perspective, and it's always like the ah boo hoo they left Brooklyn, which is sad, <laughs> and it's that's fine, but. If you want to understand how the Dodgers came to L.A. and why that all worked out the way it did, when it did, uh, this is a book where you'll learn that. And you'll kind of understand the story of the Dodgers moving west from the L.A. perspective, from the Dodgers, kind of L.A. Dodgers perspective, not on the what was lost perspective. Yeah, I think that's a a good encapsulation of it because you're right. It always is through the paradigm of, you know, uh, the boys of summer type stuff and you know, you don't really get actually like what folks who were in Los Angeles thought about the time. It's always told, you know, from the departure aspect, I guess. Yeah. I mean, LA was a baseball city before the Dodgers and there's a whole kind of fascinating baseball culture and history with the PCL, uh, with semi-pro mm-hmm. leagues. And there's a reason that the city was excited about getting major league baseball. How are you feeling about the 2020 Dodgers? Feeling like I hope they play. <laughs> oh man i mean other than that they're good they look i mean how could i mean what, what would you say besides they look like an amazing team yeah that's that's sort of uh that's kind of our thesis pedro what what happens if they don't play this year what happens with terms of like like does mookie Betts just become a free agent this it, hasn't been determined it has yet, not right? been determined yet but i think it's you know wouldn't that be you know we a month ago or so not maybe not even that three weeks ago the entire conversation about the mookie Betts trade was there's no possible way that the the red sox win this trade Right. And I mean, I can tell you one very specific <laughs> oh, way no. in which they win that trade <laughs> is if there's no season. Right. Oh, I mean, if you gosh. think, I mean, then, then, you know, they get future talent oh, at the expense of uh, no 2020 talent. So I don't know that that doesn't mean that he's going to be. I would but be ha- surprised. I mean, that's that's an incredible loss for the for the the, fran- the Dodgers 2020 hopes or, or, you know, for this. I mean, they gave up a lot. I mean, a fair amount for a player who they expected to be, you know, one of the you know vo- most valuable in, in the industry. Yeah. And they I mean, at the very least at this point, they're going to get less than they expected to get because uh, there's no way right. they play 162. And it seems like 100 is the most possible. So that's a um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know how to process that really. But the, have they determined what would happen no. with with no. like service time and things like that? It's just this was the season you get. You know, yeah. Ken Rosendahl's reporting it pretty pretty regularly, and, and it seems like the, what the two sides are at odds about is how much service time from 2019 would constitute a full season in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like you'd need to get at least a couple months. A player would need to have at least a couple months in the big leagues in 2019 for that to count. But my understanding, I, mean, I, I don't know if they don't play a season at all. I don't know how you can just hold every player for another year. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't yeah. know enough to know how they can re- resolve this. It seems like a. Um, it seems like a big. Mess. I'm sure they'll find it a really so- elegant solution that everybody loves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have to say, it is so hard for me to feel sympathy for baseball teams, but I slightly do in this case. But then again, also, who cares? Uh, so. Yeah, so yeah, actually, it's yeah. only okay. we care because it's our job to care. Basically, sure, about sure, this sure. Stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's about it. I mean, it's not you know, it's it's not in the top one hundred things to care no, about. No, no, no. Other than, but it is you know, from a from a baseball writer's perspective, it is fascinating to see what happens to Mookie Betts and his one year deal. Yeah, um, and that sort of thing. And what happens? I'm sure Eric is paying attention to Yasiel Puig, who's still a free agent. I can't believe it. I I can believe I, I can. can believe it. that's unbelievable no no i believe it i believe it yeah jeez but he actually so like there was talk about him going to possibly japan or korea um and those are the only leagues that are going to be going in in you know april and may so like that yeah you know uh horseshoe theory it worked out for him i guess what is the what is the status of the of the of the the nippon professional baseball league is it is it on track to play in i I read somewhere that it was like april 24th is possible uh Uh that could be just that might have just i may have just completely invented that uh is the kbo going on as scheduled or I think the key. Oh, I'm seeing that they were already. The players are training. They're doing. I saw some pictures of them playing in masks, which were pretty cool. Like like the Rakuten (laughs) Golden Eagles, like all doing spring training in surgical masks. Jeez, these are strange times. Matt Williams uh, with a with a strange with a with a hard face on uh, supervising a workout in the in the league. That could that could be any that could be from any year in any league. Wait, is Matt Williams no longer uh, coaching the Oakland A's? (laughs) I'm pretty sure this is him wearing a Kia Tigers uniform uh, jersey. Hold on, uh, right that, that was posted on. Uh, just search KBO and it is the, on Twitter, and it is the first thing that you see. Uh, yeah, Matt Williams is Dan managing Kurtz. the yeah. KBO Kia Tigers. All right, that looks like Matt Williams, doesn't it? That yeah. is Matt Williams. Yeah. Anyway, no, you learned Eric, something Thank new you for coming day. on. Yeah, this was a. I enjoyed this. Um, the book comes out officially uh, the day that this podcast is released, right? And you're going to be, um, you know, on Twitter talking to people, sending them uh, cards, trying to do everything you can to get the word out about this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I will be fully um, self-promoting, shamelessly and aggressively. Well, uh, we wish you luck in that. And I, I, I want to reiterate that I loved this book. I thought it was um, it was brisk. You focused on the right things. There's a good amount of humor mixed into it, like the W.E.B. Du Bois point. Du Bois point. There's everything. There's a, there's everything you'd want. There's there's stuff about hearing aids. There's uh, it's, just, it's just an entertaining uh, read. I, I learned a lot about a lot of stuff. I learned that newspapers aren't always good. Yeah, I learned a lot, man. You just you just learned that. <laughs> that was the joke, Andy. Oh, oh, okay. I you're mean, always on your own. Even when you're on a team, you're on your own. They've been that good to me, me, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm very much enjoying this book. I'm going to finish it this week. It's a good time. Uh, I learned a lot. And like I said, it's uh, 
these are the stories that you know you don't see on like MLB Network or you don't read about you know and like the just kind of the day to day coverage and I think it's uh, it's a corrective that uh, you know it's important to to be a part of so uh, I'm enjoying it. Thank you, thank you for reading it and thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you for spending the time to to tell the story that as Andy said had been lost. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, we are offering new users to The Athletic uh, free uh, memberships for trials for 90 days. So while games are suspended, you can count on us to continue telling incredible stories. Join us as we find comfort and entertainment in the nostalgia, culture, and people behind the games we love. Theathletic.com slash free 90 days. Thanks for listening.